0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back to the Bachelor News Radio Show. On the Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM. WCOM and Chapel Hill. Sally Bachelor, we thank you for joining us. always good to be here in the studio, and we we certainly appreciate you joining us wherever you are, 919-246-9639 is the number to get in touch with us, wherever you are, we appreciate you joining us uh, this day. I'm going to go to my guest. She is a teacher at Carrington Middle School. First appearance on the Bassin News Radio Show on the Bassin News Radio Network and WCOM, of course. Thank you for uh, joining us here. Very good to have her on her name is alicia jones and uh miss jones we appreciate you coming on this uh this today
2: thank you for having me
1: absolutely so i wanted to have you on because um you know uh with covid uh everything has changed right so um and it's been a a challenge for the kids but certainly it has to be a challenge for the teachers uh, talk about those challenges i have kids uh, as you know, that are on Zoom every day. And, you know, the social part of it is, is missing for a lot of kids. And, uh, and they feel, some, some feel dysfunctional because of it. But what has been the challenges for you as a teacher to teach different grades and teach, um, uh, you know, remotely before your kids came back into class?
2: Well, first, I would like to start off by saying that we would not be able to educate our young people during this pandemic without our parents, our grandparents, our aunts, everyone that has stepped in and taken on a leadership teacher-slash-role. People are learning techniques that they've never known before, Um, and so that in itself has been an eye-opener. But to lose students that you know will flourish um, throughout a day, just having that personal contact, um, is heartbreaking. Um, just to see kids um, just not there, just lost in the Zoom world. But since we have started reopening our schools back in Durham, we have seen an increase in participation. So that has been a good component of it. But we did lose kids in the mid of it with dealing with technology issues just the social um, lack of socialism that they were going through not being able to be with their peers just not having that human contact has been detrimental not just to the students but to us as faculty and staff as well
1: so you you teach music correct
2: correct so it it's
1: it's got to be a different challenge i know my son played the clarinet and some other things and they took um the electives away uh for the moment because of i, I don't know the, the fact that they couldn't do it via you know remotely um so you know it shows up on his uh, on his um, you know progress report and, and and quarter reports but it's nothing there so What are the specific challenges that you had to go through as a music teacher? And I love music teachers, you know, in that regard. It's different from math and English and things of that nature. What's the challenges you had to go through?
2: Uh, I think technology was one of the bigger challenges Um, within the school district. um, I do not have a nice studio with um, speaking and singing mics like you do here at WCOMFM.org but we have adjusted very well and we have the support of our district um, admin and our principals have been very supported and understood that the student is a well rounded student with the arts um, it is a component in their growth in their education so when
1: you, you, you look at that
2: how,
1: was it, how did you grade quarterly um before they started coming into class how did, how did that work was it a fair i mean if they're if they're on zoom then how do you actually do that i and i asked the same question to my kids teachers in terms of you know is there uh, everybody seems like it's going to pass because you're in this different environment because of covid
2: well, we definitely want to have grace and mercy with our students um, because it's not their fault and we don't want any kid to feel like they're being penalized. Um, but we have different programs. Um, our Canvas program has a studio recording um, device that kids can send their recordings in of their song samples or whatever song selection that they're doing and you can still grade as if they were actually singing in front of you.
1: So with recitals again, my son, both my sons played instruments before, so they had to go to recitals and as an individual or as a group of both and have to have these these challenges. Um, So um, with with that being said, um, how did you work out? Were there any kind of competitions in terms of recitals at all, or is just sort of introducing, you know, studying, understanding the music?
2: Um, We actually uh, continued on with our district um, all-county choir. Um, Our lead in our district, who is Jeremy Tucker, has done an excellent job with making sure that we have the proper programs so we can record our students and merge those recordings in if it was an actual concert. So we've put on a virtual all-county chorus. Um, we're looking to put on some spring concerts as well. So it um, we slowed down a little bit, but we didn't skip a beat.
1: Uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Alicia Jones. She's a, uh, a music teacher at uh, Carrington Middle School in Durham, uh, here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and, of course, our our folks here at WCOM and Chapel Hill and Carborough. Um, so how, you know, I think music... I love music so music is always going to soothe the soul right you're a music teacher you understand it so how important was it for you to continue doing what you do for the morale of the kids and even the the, the teachers like in terms of just making sure that what you do as a music teacher and putting forth this even in a zoom or remote uh, method uh, was important for the morale of the kids.
2: We have students that before pre-COVID, before COVID, um, they were stronger within our arts program, whereas they may not have been able to sit still in a language arts or, or a math class or a social studies class, but they were able to get on stage and perform and shine and so we took that to the advantage of giving kids still that opportunity um, to shine within our arts program and didn't be in a park feeling like they still had their family within the school
1: so uh, the the final question for you now i know uh kids have been coming back i know you had your sixth graders and all the kids have been coming back um what is this going to look like you know uh with covid still in the midst i mean it it, it's certainly going to be different but what what is it going to look like and 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 feel free to give some some shout outs if you want to uh to the school
2: Well, first of all, Carrington Middle School with um, none other than Holly Emanuel, principal, and the assistant principal staff there, and um, Terry Applewhite is our elective uh, dean of students and assistant principal. Um, it We don't know what it's going to look like. All we know is what we're doing right now. We're going to make sure that the kids are social distanced. We're going to still give them that opportunity to educate them and push them in high order thinking. We're going to still give them the arts where they can be creative and express themselves. Um, we're going to still Allow them to socialize to the best of our ability, hand-washing, following all CDC rules that we possibly can. That's all that we can do at this moment. Has
1: that been real tough for you guys Did it, when you go in and, you know, all the, the good intentions are there, but, you know, stuff happens. Some kid sneezes or something happens, and then you start adjusting things on the fly. Has it been really tough with the kids coming back?
2: Actually, the kids have been very helpful. Um, they're maintaining their distance. They're wearing their masks. They understand the importance of just doing what their their part, so they can get back to what we consider to be normal within our school system.
1: Well, I, I applaud you. I, I, Thank you. I, I, just, I mean, it's, listen, <laughs> COVID my new name is daddy it's mm-hmm. not LA or anything it's daddy because it, it, it's been a challenge for me being home so I have a renewed respect I already have respect but I have a renewed respect for teachers and what you guys uh, uh, do with our, our kids and I appreciate it uh, shout outs if you want
2: Well, I just want to say thank you to all our parents out there. Thank you to the mothers and fathers that are juggling teaching and working at the same time. You are our heroes. Um, My daughter, Atlanta, I want to say hello. Um, She just got her acceptance into Elon for, uh, um, Elon University for law school, and she is a product of Durham Public Schools education. Um, So it does work. It does work.
1: Well, big ups to her and and Elon, the Phoenix. She's a Phoenix now. Definitely, so. definitely. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm big. I'm a, a big fan of Elon. A very good school, uh, in in Burlington. But uh, more importantly, I, I I truly appreciate what you do. Um, it's it's not easy, what you do. And and trust you being a parent and a teacher. I'm just a parent. You're a parent and a teacher. So. You know, you got that double whammy thing going on, and I I appreciate you, and I'm sure the folks at uh, Carrington uh, appreciate you as well. Thanks for coming on this evening.
2: Uh, Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Alicia Jones, she is a uh, music teacher at uh, Carrington Middle School in Durham. It works. It's been working, and um, we certainly appreciate her and her efforts. This is the Bassin News Radio Show. Stay tuned.
3: Rimpage Basketball Club is a one-on-one basketball league. Once you join, you can play anywhere. You use your smartphone to video record your matches and upload them to your online profile, which shows your record, rating, the city you represent, and more. Fans and other league members can visit your profile and view, rate, and comment on your performance. League members compete on two circuits. The first is the general circuit. Each time you play a match, your rating goes up if you win and down if you lose. Your rating determines what class you're in. There are eight different classes, and everyone starts out in the provisional class, the lowest class. Keep winning, and your rating keeps going up, and you graduate to the highest classes. Sani Fayette is the highest class. 2,500 points gets you to graduate to this class. For more info, go to www.rimpage.club.com.
1: Welcome back to the show. I'm going to go to Joe Hoover. Uh, Joe Hoover is a best-selling author and uh, uh, certainly uh, does a, a phenomenal job, his My Hero series, and we'll talk about that. But uh, who I wanted to touch base with you and ask you, in this COVID-19, there's two things going on. We'll start with the education side. As you're a professor, you're an author uh, of those series. You talk about um, not only bullying and mentoring, but education. I mean, being able to spell, being able to write a check. I mean, even if you don't write checks to learn how to to write signature, things of that nature, the basic things. You know, kids don't even know their home keys. Remember when we were kids, we had to type and we knew the home key and all that. But right now in this, this COVID-19, and we're short on time, so I want you to really get into it. What are the pluses and minuses on online schooling? I, in the beginning, my kids were like, you know what? Yeah, this is cool. We get to do it. But now they're getting bored and they want to be around their friends. So socially is different. But from an education learning standpoint, especially with black and brown uh, kids, who are uh, not only disadvantaged in some cases in neighborhoods, the books and all of those things. What's the pluses and minuses of learning online?
4: Well, I'm going to go with more of the, well, it ain't that many pluses to me. Uh, um, I think there's more of the pluses that there's something happening as opposed to just being shut down and there's nothing happening at all. So at least there's something tangible that's being used, you know what I mean? Um, can it work? Yeah, I mean, it can. But I, but like you just mentioned, that social uh, uh if, if the social part of it is part of the 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 the, uh, the dynamic of being able to know how to get along with, with your teammates, um uh, 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 I call them teammates or well, classmates, uh, knowing how to function as opposed to everything being robotic, pressing a button, and and that's the one thing I fear. La is that with my with my book I have a curriculum, and my curriculum is a full charge curriculum where there's not a writing involved. And that's by design, because, you know, studies show that your memory is enhanced by writing things down. Also, you use a certain part of the brain when you're writing, as opposed to just touching a button. A button, You use a certain part of the brain when you're reading, as opposed to just things being sent to, sent to you digit, uh, digitally. And I think that's the where that's where we're going to have a problem. Uh, again, the plus is that we're doing something, so, you know, so it's better than nothing. But... The, the the minuses are a lot. It's, it's a, And like you said, the, the, your, your, your young men are getting bored. Um, It's a lot. And then what happens is the kids are so inundated with these video games. You know, everything digitized. You know what I mean? So they could be playing Fortnite for four or five hours. Now all of a sudden, you're slowing the pace. Now you're trying to tell them to teach. Now you're trying to tell them to learn that way. It's a lot. So So they have to reprogram themselves on even how to learn. As opposed to being away from the computer, you know, instead of being away from the computer and being instructed by a teacher or some sort in the front, in front of them, where she's able to, she, he or she is able to do things live, you know, and in person, so to speak, and sort of uh, have the um, option of learning things on the fly as well, doing things on the fly. You really can't do things too much like that when you're online. You have to, you know, you have to kind of robot yourself a little bit as well. So, but again, pluses is that they're doing something, minuses are so a lot. And, and what I fear is that our children won't get the benefit of really being promoted in a proper manner, meaning earning the promotion. Because right now, you really can't fail a kid. I mean, you can't. I mean, how can you? You know, I mean, how do you fail a kid that that uh, parents may be suffering from COVID. And, it, you know what I mean? They and, themselves might have
1: had it. And, who well, that's that's a really uh, great point, because uh, if you have a marginal kid, a kid that's been struggling, um, it, 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 it's probably not doing a great service for that child if you pass them because of the situation, and the climate we are in. And even before uh-huh. this, speak to, because I think we had this conversation before about uh, using – You know, I I have a real issue with kids using calculators for math. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And not Mm -hmm. counting, not writing things out like you said. I tell my kids all the time, write it Mm -hmm. down, take notes. They can go into my studio, my my office, and see nothing but notes. And I try to tell them, not only Mm -hmm. take good notes, but make sure you have organized notes. So when you come back to it, Mm -hmm. you know what it is. You put your name, date, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and some, mm-hmm. I, I see some of the kids that don't do that, but I, get, I have a real issue when they use sort of these electronic things or things mm-hmm. that take away from counting and reading and all of these things, mm-hmm. audio and, and things mm-hmm. of that nature.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well I, I, I'm going to you. I'm going to give you an analogy because I, I know you, you'll catch it. Well, to, I'm going to give you a saying. I'm going to give you an mm-hmm. analogy. You know that I was saying, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So we, so we understand that part. But now, picture a person. That's a couch potato, straight up couch potato, remote in his hand, and beer in the other hand, eating chips, doing this for years, watching TV, you know, shape got different, what have you. Then you say, okay, I want you to get in shape, the best shape of your life within three weeks. But tonight we're gonna start off with you running five miles. That person, wouldn't, that person wouldn't walk good four blocks. I mean, five blocks really good without him like, oh, my gosh, I'm tired. And that's the same thing that's happening with our babies' brains because they're not using that part of the brain. Like you just mentioned, all you're doing is pressing a button. You're not trying to figure things out in your head. You know what I mean? So you're not, you're not exercising that part of the brain. And we know the brain is an organ, but it acts as a muscle. You might as well call it a muscle because it acts just like a muscle. But if you don't use certain things to critically think, uh, conceptualize things, figure things out in your head, ponder over stuff, if you don't use that kind of that part of the brain, when it's time to use it, you you, please think about how many people I guarantee at your audience. If you ask them, if you have read a book, if you have, if you ask them if they have read a book or a long article in a long time, and they if they're gonna do it before they go to sleep, say read an article. I guarantee they fall asleep before they do it. Because that brain ain't, ain't being used. So now you're going to tell me, read all this? <laughs> you know what right. I mean? At, within a certain period of time? That brain is over, it gets overloaded, and then all of a sudden it starts to shut down because you have to build it, you have to build it back up. And so this is what's happening in L.A. With too, many, with too many of our children because they're so used to pressing buttons, pressing buttons, pressing buttons from video games to learning that when you tell them to do certain things, either they can't do it, they don't want to do it, or they don't know how to do it. So guess what? It's not done, and my fear. I mean, I'm saying I'm saying this because my, my my son is 29 years old, so I'm not, I'm I'm not a concerned parent for him, but I'm concerned parent for others. Because as an educator, every child that comes into your classroom or any of any 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 uh, of me when I go to schools, those children become my children, and I say it openly. I'm like for for the for the time being, I'm here. You belong to me, That's right. and I treat them as they're my children. And so my fear is that. Because they took penmanship out of schools, you know, so these these kids don't know how to write cursive,ly nor can they read it. So, so I, I use the word script. Not, not only can they not read the script, they can't. I mean, they can't write it, so they can't read it. So now you're telling the 18 year old, 19 year old, go register to do this, sign this application, go we'll do this, and they say sign your name. He's writing in print. He's actually writing in print. And to be it or not, the way they write. They're not even writing online. I mean, in other words, you you tell the kid to write in print on the line, they're writing in between the line. And they're writing I mean, they they're putting their name like they got it across the line because they don't have a concept of writing, bro. That is like scary. Yeah. And that's happening worse for our black and brown babies than it is for other ch- other children because other children they are, they the ones that have the means to it, they're being taught how to write script. Sure. So now so education system it seems they seem to have Put that on the parents, which is not fair. Not, no, no, no. When I say fair because that's a basic requirement, writing. You know what I mean? That, that, should, that should be something that should be uh, uh, cataloged in schools or, 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 and 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 should be progressed in schools. Because LA, that's how we learn. You know what I mean? Our timetables, we did that in school. Right. Our, our writing, our penmanship. You know, writing between the lines, our tracing. Le- you know what I mean? We did that. We did that in school because although, it was part of our curriculum.
1: Although I write like a doctor without the money, but I mean, sign
5: hey, like hey, a doctor. No, no, hey, hey, <laughs> hey, me too. And hey,
1: hey, here's a funny thing.
5: Me
4: too. And I'm ambidextrous with it. I can write with both hands. i <laughs> left hand, right hand. I can do both. And I can write equally sloppy. So we're in the same boat. Yeah. I get that. But at the end of the day, my friend, we can read that. We what? and we can read some lots of And we can read some lots of sloppy handwriting too because right. we, we're accustomed to doing it. Right. You know what I mean? So, so, but, but, again, our babies aren't getting that privilege. And with, and with that, they're going to lose so much in this fake, illusion-filled, digital-based world. Right. Because it's, it's really an illusion. Yeah. It's an illusion, bro. It's yeah. an illusion. With these these smartphones have made, made us dumb.
1: Talking with uh, Gerald Hoover, best-selling author of My Friend, My Hero, a book targeting young black and brown boys ages 12 up and up here on the Bachelor News Radio Show, Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM, Chapel Hill and Carborough, uh, uh, North Carolina. And we'll get to the, the book series and info there. Um, you know, really sort of the final uh, phase, and I know you said there's the positives because they're doing something. But, again, um, the concern I have is that even before the virus, even before they had to go online, and some are going back to school in certain places, and, I mean, you can get into if it's safe or not. That's a whole different discussion for another day. Um but the fact is that, you know, it, kids, even before the virus, and I, and I have to, again, I challenge mine all the time, um, it, it, They work is not, it, I wouldn't say it was necessarily fun for us, but, mm-hmm. you know, we knew we had to do that, and we knew at the end of the day it was going to make us better. Even sometimes we mm-hmm. didn't feel like going to school. I tried to play hooky. My mother found out all the time, but I had to do what I had mm-hmm. to do and it didn't seem mm-hmm. as forced on us as it is with kids. Kids like, okay, if you, you do this, you can play this, or you can go outside, and they pushing, they zooming through it. But at the same time, you want to tell them, no, take your time, because a lot of teachers say, take your time, read the, read the questions, you know, when you're taking a test. And it seems like the ki- these kids, our kids, are trying to zoom through a lot of the, the work, and they don't seem to get it. It's more robotic than... Mm-hmm consumption and understanding and comprehending it you 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 buy mm-hmm.
4: that mm-hmm. i mean and, and that, that's a fear and a matter of fact you said it eloquently but you basically repeated what i was saying and the way i said it when these when our babies get a certain age they're not going to be able to function other than doing what they've known it's almost like putting a you know, you know they put the uh blinds on horses run that straight run a straight line they won't know how to do anything else but oh it's not it's not set in stone this way they won't be able to do it and that's where too many of our child children are going to fail. That's where they're going to fail because they won't have options on how to do things any other way. And that's going to, and that's a criminal act. If you ask me, it's a criminal act. It's because and that's why I said fake, illusional, filled world. Because you'll say, oh no, he got a so and so on his test, but yeah, he was pressing a button that you helped him press because you're trying to get that funding. Because the state mandated so and so and so and so, which the state has no, they have no clue what's going on on the ground. They're a bunch of bean counters and doing whatever they're doing. They have no clue or concept of what is done on the educational level. None, because if they did, or if their children was in the belly of the beast, they wouldn't have that kind of, they wouldn't have that kind of outlook. And, me,
0: and,
1: let, and let just to, been, and just to interrupt too, ahead. if they, if our kids aren't learning, again, post uh, pre and post COVID nineteen. They're ready to mm-hmm. put them, ready to put them on meds, you know, Ritalin and whatever, oh my they, gosh. It's whatever, man. Um, and,
4: and, 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 that's and, and, and And, bro, in LA, I was, I believe it or not, pre-COVID. And as, as matter of fact, you we've because discussing my book before COVID. Pre-COVID, well, I started my curriculum two years ago, but, I mean, I was, like getting it in stone. So I, I so I'm, I'm well ahead of the COVID part. I was yelling and screaming about in 25 years if we're not careful that we're going to have an educational apocalypse. I was saying this for about two years now. Now it's probably going to be closer than that because we're going to lose two and a half years. Okay, please wait for every child I was already behind tack on two more years. They don't go. they are not going to fail the kid. They're going to promote them socially. But think about the average 10th grader that's ready for college, getting ready for college in two years. They're going to be functioning on a 6 grade reading level or 6 grade sixth-grade work level. So, so that so, means when they graduate high school and, and graduate, to go to college, they're going to they're going to it's going to be a very, a real challenge.
1: So real, real quick, because we're running out of time, um, what would be some of the solutions you have? You know, right now with COVID and, and moving forward, and please do uh, let people know how they can get my friend, my hero, talk about the book and, and where they can find it.
4: Sure. Well, I'll, I'll do that first because it's fresh in my head. Uh, my, my website is called The Hero Book Series, right? TheHeroBookSeries.com. Um, for those that are educators or they want to uh, do some homeschooling, and help, help them enhance, you can order my book, and I will even let you know how to get the curriculum to go with it. Now, the curriculum uh, it has a study a study guide which you have to write, read. Uh, do some uh, uh, research and learn how to uh, words, how to put words together, context clues. I mean, it, it, it was the same thing that would, would happen in the school. Also, have a teacher's edition to where you have the answers. So for you parents that have young children, okay, Johnny, do this, do this, do this. You as a parent, whether you've been to school lately or not, it's okay. You have the teacher's guide. You have the answers. The sentences. You have the answers. The, the, the multiple choice. That you have. The, you have all the answers. I even have a pre-test. But so you can say, here, Johnny, take this and let me see how you can do with that. Then I have what's called a unit assessment, and I have answers for that as well. So you have a student success guide, you have a teacher's edition, and you have a unit assessment. So you have all those, and you're good. What I would suggest, put a physical book in your child's hand. E-learning is fine. I right, my book is on tape now. It's coming out but in about a month. I, I Anytime e-books, which, okay, I, I'm not really for them, but I know people, I don't, I don't want to read it like that. That's fine. But put a physical book in your hand. The five senses that we're blessed with are given to us for a reason. Putting a physical book in your hand speaks volumes to the mental, soul, mind, and body. There's a lot of, and go on YouTube and research touch how the effects are of touching a book. Google that, T- touch it, touch it a book. How powerful, you saw that your knowledge starts to, your, your knowledge starts LA with just Touching the book, it's powerful. I, I I just saw that I just saw something like that the other day. And it's funny because I've been thinking about it. Because you know, you know, I give you an example. Let me let me say something really quick. I going to be short on time. In the, in the in the Bible, I'm, I'm sorry. In, in church, people have told me. I remember old ministers were telling me. I would say, well, Elder So what do I learn? what do I read in the Bible? What should I, what should I do? They, they, you know, they would tell me say prayer. Put your hand on top of the Bible and just open it. Meaning, I heard that before. You'll find that, <laughs> you finally, you know what I'm saying, Ella? You know where I'm going? You know where I'm going? You know where I'm going? There was something powerful about putting your mind right with it, coming becoming one with the story that you're about to read and then open the book deep with that. That's deep and, and so we keep giving these books these these, these, these these digital books and everything you ain't helping these kids put a book in your hand put a physical book the so five senses are, are given to us for a reason that's if right. you dummy us out with that we ain't gonna have them buddy we're gonna be ro- people gonna be robots
3: that's right it's
4: not gonna work for us yeah it's not, not gonna work for us
1: bro and the learning is is robotic at this point because of that come on man yeah you're right come you're on absolutely man. right Come Come on, we we, we're we gonna, can't
4: afford that, bro.
1: We can't. We can't. And you talk about apocalypse. Oh, my God. You, you, Come you on, been, man. You, you get your Negro Domus points because you have been talking about this for quite some time. So uh, I know that for a fact. Hoove, I love you, man. Appreciate you. Be safe. Uh, I'll talk too, with you very, very soon. We'll get you on next week and talk some you, more about this, okay? My pleasure, my brother. Take, Take you care. Safe, man. All right, man.
3: Now for Know How.
1: News Radio Charlie the Bass News Radio Network WCOM Chapel Hill and IBM TV Let's not forget those Folks there broadcasting This bad boy appreciate all of Them and all of you uh, Checking out this Broadcast if you're listening you want To chime in you can dial 646-929-0130 uh, Or the Chat room online at Blogtalkradio.com many more other ways to check in with us as well. Follow us and ask questions right now. As a matter of fact, on our uh, Facebook at Pad Nation, Pad Nation Two. That's the number two at Twitter. Thank you so very much for being a part of this broadcast. Want to go to the phones? Bring in uh, my guest from Cascade Publishing in, uh, House, a publisher and award-winning author, uh, and writes some very um, compelling and thought-provocative articles, and has been doing that for quite some time. He is H. Michael Harvey. And Mr. Harvey, always a pleasure to have you on, sir, and I hope all is well with you right now.
6: Uh, Brother Baxler, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and all is well. Hope all is well with you and and your audience.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. time uh, uh coming in I, I wanted to talk about um the, obviously you covered and and i'm envious you you covered the the black college world series that took place um uh, recently with uh, a bluefield state uh, being the uh, victors we'll get into that in a sec but when you look at the HBCU, the black experience. Uh, and I love the fact, I love, I absolutely love the fact uh, that you and your photographers uh, took pictures and interviewed uh, those black families, uh, whether it been um, husband and wife and two sons um, that were there taking in the experience, or was it if it was father and son and Cameron Ray and, and, and Carlin Ray. Uh, One's a machinist and the other kid, and he wanted to give that experience. And and actually, his father went to the first black college, as as you mentioned in your article. So um, talk about the experience, the, the talent, before we get into your article, on the field, but also the onlookers who wanted to get that HBCU, the HBCU baseball more specifically um, experience off the field? Uh, the, ta- the talent
6: on the field was awesome. Uh, I-, I saw some uh, very uh, strong uh, pitching um, uh, from from several of the teams involved in the tournament. Um, I mean, the-, the kid who pitched in a losing effort on uh, Saturday evening, was throwing he started the game throwing in the ninety ninety one mile per hour range and uh on the game, on the uh last uh, he got a, he got the uh, team to hit into a double play with the bases loaded in the um uh, in the bottom of the eighth inning and um ex- excuse me in yeah bottom of the eighth inning and um he was still in the in the eighty nine, ninety ninety one mile per hour range. I mean, just a fan fantastic pitching job in a losing effort as a young man to pitch the ball game. Uh, the first game of the, of the series also for um, uh, Xavier who struck out 17 batters in a losing cause. Uh, saw some good, solid defensive play, good, solid uh, hitting, timely hitting uh, and, and a few home runs. So um, the, the the series was well played. Uh, the teams were well coached well-prepared right.
1: To be on the national stage. Open the door, Kevin. Yeah, and, and you know when you you look at it, um, Mr. Harvey, uh, uh, the fact is that one of the thing, one of the concerns on the field, you know, as uh, black ballplayers, more specifically as black pitchers, uh, the concern was that they couldn't throw hard, and that you had to retrain and and everything else in terms of. You know, if they're not in the 90s plus, then they may make it to the minors, but that you may not see them in the majors. It, it, and that's strictly on the pitcher side. You play the games. So you understand what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have the position players. But it, you're, are you saying that you saw some, some abilities um, from the pitching side because you brought that up uh, uh, that yeah. we perhaps – could could see at the major league level.
6: So, well yeah, you know, I I don't scout for it Come too. In, but, uh but but I do evaluate oh, yeah. uh right. no, right. talent what I yeah. sure. think. Right. I do um Hold on.
5: Hold on.
1: Yeah, I and I am not saying that you're a scout, but I'm just saying that it, it's very important that uh people understand that, you know, we do have some guys who can who can throw you know dead red, as you know what that's called i I could hit dead red I couldn't hit a curveball, but I could definitely but that <laughs> was in...
6: red and, uh, I, that was important uh, there are some arms some black arms out there that can actually do that turn and... it uh, uh, and then um and...
1: uh come back up from you then it definitely can 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 throw um the likes of the the one highest level um so you you look at the talent on the field, and you saw um the talent on the field, but historically and you know you wrote an article on this, and I thought it was it, it was well written as most of your stuff is always the black kids dream of playing h b c u baseball. It went into not just those who um, integrated the game. It went into your passion, but the wall that was there where you couldn't play at Georgia Tech, going up and making, being one of the first blacks to integrate your high school and want to play at Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech. They they only got a couple of football players but certainly not no baseball players. That's not going to happen.
0: Time
1: so and you right? How there's no, I I always uh uh you know chuckle, being from Connecticut. There's no HBCU nothing now. It wasn't no HBCU nothing then. Like when you were coming up, right? So <laughs> so no HBCU that, that, that term wasn't there. Um, but it it it, it it's almost like. Because you talked about in the midst of, you know, bringing forth this player who's always been there but been restricted in the midst of a area, a demographic, a geographic area that was restricted to the old south. Like it was all about, you know, old Dixie. And you show the Confederate flag in those areas and things, so it, it's really nostalgia, but it's also a, a a place where I read from the article. It's also a place of, um, you know, where you were, uh, where we are now, and where we should be is 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 where the article I thought was going. I mean, you're talking about you know Carl Peewee Barnes and and Eddie Massey. I, did, I mean guys who entered the college game the same time you did, but they played on a football team. So, I mean, um, baseball's always been there. Right? But it's always been it's a always wall. Been a
6: white, it's always We've, been a white game.
1: But 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 we but we played a game just as good if not better though as Army. But we don't and get that's those been opportunities. the issue. <laughs> Right. Uh, so I wanted you right, to talk yeah. about those, but the lack of those opportunities, um, especially with no disrespect, but I'm gonna call it out, like the Bluefield State with a white coach, right? And and by the way, when I I went back, I looked, uh, uh, Mr. Harvey, I looked at their press release, um, and they talked more about Bluefield State, and oh, by the way, this is one of these little HBCU uh, first, and you know you know, the H B C U give a little give a little education there, but nothing really to understand what they actually want and what they actually represent. And by the way, they're the only I think the only HBCU Catholic school if I'm not understanding. I mean but I mean it's a lot that goes into this 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 tournament and where we are in terms of going from desegregation to you know, to um the the quote unquote level playing field to where we are now in terms of black kids really wanting to play and getting to the highest level of baseball. Well, there
6: there are, there there is a significant number of black kids who are playing baseball. Uh, I know here in Atlanta and throughout the Southeast, and and and, I, and I'm pretty sure in other areas of the country. Because I hear from parents who write me, uh, email me, and, and ask questions about the various uh, schools in the HBCU um, catalog. Uh, they're interested because they're they're in these communities where their their sons are the only one or two black kids uh, on a baseball team, and um, and usually if that kid. Wanted to play be a middle infield, a shortstop, or a second baseman. He ends up out playing in the outfield, and the parents believe that this kid is a shortstop, and they want to get him into a situation where he can play um, and, and, and be judged not based upon the fact that he's black, but on his his baseball ability. And and so so our kids are playing baseball, but what has happened in the last. T- 15 years and to a greater extent in the last seven or eight years is that the number of roster spots at historical black colleges and universities uh, for the black baseball player has is almost dried up because uh, when you look. Why will most- we
1: admit that? Why won't we why as black uh, people that love the game, that are officials, that write about it and know about it, why won't we just admit that? What's wrong with just admitting that? A- that seems uh, to be the taboo. Like, nobody wants to be – they want to be politically correct. White players or other non-black players are taking these slots, coaching, too, in my opinion, if, if you look at the yes. data, from, the, the, from black people. What is wrong with saying that?
6: I have no problem in saying it, but uh, my colleagues are kind of shy away from it, uh, and and I don't quite understand why that is. Uh, maybe uh, they see the tide of history changing, and don't think that they can get in the way and uh, change it. Don't want to get steamrolled by it, and so they look the other way. But you know, um, I'm from the I'm from the James Baldwin School of Journalism, and Baldwin said that as a journalist, you know. as a writer. His job is he is a witness, and and so I'm a witness. I go to these events, and I witness, and I write about what I see. I bear witness to what I see, Man. and I write no better than I see. Uh, but there there are others in the field who, will, uh, who will look over.
1: Oh. Craig, check and make sure it's brought. You can just go ahead and turn it off. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think, too, um, things where um, it, it, it's we have to be bold in these conversations uh I mean you have to call it for what it is you have to call it for what it is because if if you don't um, then these these things continue to, to to go on um I one of the most disappointing parts of your articles, and I quote, you know, the Legacy Museum, which was there, is free to visitors for the remainder of the year. Due to COVID-19, sadly, um, none of the schools participating in the first Black College World Series took advantage of the opportunity to visit its expos, exhibits, uh, photos um, uh, as well. So, it." it is it because of the COVID, or because they weren't interested? And if they're not interested, isn't that part of the initiation of your article, which says these kids want to play these games? But you know, it, it's it's getting wider and wider. If you don't know your history and respect and love your history, then why would you? It's almost like uh, Mr. Harvey when. These kids see stuff on, you know, on ESPN or whatever, and they see the touchdowns and the three-pointers, right? And they see the LeBron mm-hmm. James or they see, you know, one of uh, the great players in the NFL, like players in the NFL, Deshaun Watson or whoever, then they want to be like that. But if they are not knowing the history or seeing the faces of the history in baseball, then that's part of the deterrent. Right there, well
6: you know it, i I have to um in all honesty, I think the the fault of the blame for um for for the fact that none of the teens visit the museum uh first has to rest on the shoulders of those who organized and put the event on. they did not um send that communication to the teens to let them know what was in the area and that they should, if they wished, uh prepare to uh, visit the museums. But one of the things I did quickly on when I got there earlier uh, in the, uh, uh, in the week, in the earlier games, I talked with the coaches and I notified them. I said, you know, the legacy museum is a hundred yards away from here. Uh, are you planning on taking your team to see it? And if so, you know, I like to tag along and, uh, Record uh, their reactions and, and and so forth with the things they see, and you know some of them said, "Well, you know, we, I thought about it." Others says, "Thanks for bringing it to my attention. Uh, if time permits, we will." You know, so even after given an opportunity uh, to take in that tour, they elected you know not to. Um, you know, so some of the blame really uh, should be placed on the shoulders of of the uh, Event organizers and I talked with them, and they said that next year they plan to go back and have the the series in Montgomery again, and that they will make sure that the teams who are invited will know of the historical markers that are within walking distance of the um, of the stadium that they can actually take tours of uh, with their teams and and get to learn uh, you know some things about the South. You know. Uh, Montgomery, uh, in addition to we as Black people know it as as the um, cradle of the civil rights movement, uh, that is where Martin Luther King was a pastor of Dexter Street Baptist Church in Montgomery when um, when Rosa Parks de- decided that she wouldn't give up a seat on the Montgomery city bus, uh, and the uh, the city had a year long uh, boycott of that transit system, and that propelled Martin Luther King into this national leader that he would become for the next uh, ten or eleven years that he w- that he was to live, and and uh, but you know it also held a significant um, place in in the Confederacy. It, it is the capital. It was the capital of the Confederacy. Uh, Jefferson Davis, mm-hmm. the president of the Confederate States, had his uh, office uh, and home uh there in montgomery and and also montgomery because it had this waterway passes in the alabama river that flowed uh into the um into the uh atlantic in the gulf it um it was uh, a major uh trading center for um for for africans during the enslavement period And uh, so the warehouse, the place place where the ballpark is built, uh, served two purposes. That area um, was a hospital for, excuse me, not a hospital, a prison for captured Union soldiers. Uh, And and they were basically treated very poorly uh, in terms of medical care and food and, um, and having blankets and places actually to sleep. They slept on the floor, slept on top of each other. And often in the winter times, they didn't have blankets and so forth. And I think 139 people died uh, in that prison. And um, but but also that area was, uh, had a series of warehouses. And so when they would um, bring the uh, the Africans in off the boat, they would house them in these warehouses. And so the warehouses served as staging areas. Until the day of the auction came, and then when when the when the auction came, they would actually walk from those warehouses, past where that stadium was, uh, down to the auction to be sold, um, be sold off to some uh, plantation owner, uh, you know, in Alabama. So I mean, it, 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 that history is there. It is our history. We need to know it. The the, the mere time, I mean, black colleges and universities grew out of. The need of this first generation of free africans who who knew that they needed that their children needed to be educated in the ways of white America, and so you know they went to great lynch to to form these schools If you got a minute, let me tell you how Tuskegee Institute came about, and Tuskegee is- about thirty five or forty miles. Uh, east of uh, Montgomery, Alabama. So in the election of 1880, there was two Democrat, white Democrats um, who were up for state Democratic, the one state senator, one uh, state representative who were up for reelection in the election of 1880. There was a mulatto who had a shop on the town square there in Tuskegee he was a very successful businessman he practically grew up uh going in and out of the home of the plantation owner who was also his father and when his when his white sisters learned uh geometry and latin and mathematics and so forth he um, he would take sit down and take those classes right along with them and then of course he had to run over a plantation he would go out and learn the different trades that the um that the men who were enslaved um performed and so when the uh, war ended and freedom came uh he set up a shop on the square and became a very profitable businessman well those two democrats which in that in, in 1880 uh, the blacks in Macon County, Alabama, were voting Republican. It was the party of Lincoln, the party that um, had worked uh, in the um, – who had worked for uh, the abolition of slavery. And so uh, so the two white Democrats, with fearing that they would lose their seats, went to the town square and asked uh, Lewis Adams if he would help them to retain their seats. And he, and so they said, we'll give you anything you want. What do you want? And Mr. Adams said, well, the children in Tuskegee need a school. And they pledged to him that if he supported them, uh, that, that they would um, uh, enact legislation in the Alabama legislature that would create a school in Tuskegee for the black children. there. And so he won. They, the two won the, the election in November, uh, that first week in January when the legislature – when in the session, the, the uh, state representative introduced a bill in the House to um, to appropriate $2,000 for teacher salaries for a school at Tuskegee. At the end of the month, that bill passed early February. It's in the Senate by February the 27th. That bill had passed the Senate. and um, And so Tuskegee came about. We often hear. The Tuskegee people say, and I'm a Tuskegee grad, that Booker, that Booker T. Washington founded the school. Well, he didn't. It was founded on a political deal cut by Lewis Adams and two state legislators uh, who, who were Democratic, white legislators who wanted to be reelected, and they cut a deal with him. Um, and I guess he could have asked for anything, could, could have asked for money to put in his pocket. But he said the children in this town, black children in this town, need a school. And so he he worked for their reelection in order to get a school. And most of your HBCUs have a similar uh, story because they were founded coming out of this period of enslavement, and the people in those towns knew that that, that that the kids needed a school so that they could learn these new ways and and be well and be successful here in this country. Uh, but 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 that is being lost. I mean, so Bluefield State, toward the, the end of the 19th century, was founded in in West Virginia. There, um, kids couldn't go to the University of um, West Virginia, and, and I, I think there's another school in West Virginia, major state school in West Virginia. Uh, so the blacks in that in in in, the, in those hollows up there. Uh, Established Bluefield State And It it was a black college Just like Tuskegee, just like Talladega Just like Stillman Just like Howard um, um, You know uh, Just like all of them, Alabama State uh, Tuskegee And so what happens is Is that in the, The 1950s When the the Brown versus the Board of Education decision came out and and the court ruled that you could not separate uh children in schools uh, the The state of West Virginia had a dilemma is that the the mining industry that white miners the white people were primarily employed in the mining industry and it was it had fallen on hard times, and those miners didn't have. Um, the skills or the education do other type work, and so the mm-hmm. state of West Virginia changed the curriculum from that teacher college um, curriculum that most black schools had that was founded um, you know coming out of that enslavement period. They changed the curriculum that that uh, started offering courses uh, that the minors would want to come and take. And by, 19, by By 1985, there were more white students than there were blacks, and um, by 1990, there were no longer any black faculty members or administrators. you know so um, that's the history of that school and but but uh, you know, they're still considered yeah. um, mm-hmm. under under the definition that Richard Nixon gave black colleges. They are still considered a historical black college and university and therefore they are yeah. eligible for entitled to receive, you know, funding uh from the the HBCU source.
1: Yeah, and I think you had uh mentioned, um, off the record, I mean, if we could be real that uh, you know, Bluefield State is giving some pushback on how whites are taking over the sport. In HBCU institutions, um, but again, the, the reality is the reality, and I think the hypocrisy of it is: um, uh, before I let you go, um, Mr. De Harvey, is that um, these these changes um, are taking place in institutions where they are historically slave states. Savannah State and and all these other Louisiana with, with Xavier. I mean, these are these are slave area. I mean, let's just be real about it. So, um, I don't think there is any. I, I think the the biggest thing for me coming out of looking at the players that are playing and the lack thereof that look like us, and that's a real conversation is that uh, we have to be real about it. Uh, I don't have any – I don't begrudge the, the coach at Bluefield State or, or anybody else, but the, at the end of the day, we're talking about, you know, us trying to uh, reintegrate, which sounds so ridiculous, but really this is what it is, um, Major League Baseball, we got to have some players playing it and playing it at the minors to get to the majors. Can't do that if the spots are being taken. I, I don't necessarily buy into we don't have the super talent. I know we do. Now, the promotion mm-hmm. of it and the marketing of it is a whole different thing, Mr. Harvey, but I just think that mm-hmm. you're right. And, you know, the article talks about, you know, a black kid's dream of playing HBCU baseball while the face of black college baseball grows wider and wider. Or even browner and browner, but certainly whiter and browner. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not us, and I don't think mm-hmm. there's anything wrong than pointing that out. And I can deal with the repercussions of that.
6: Oh well, I've had I've I've uh, received some repercussions from having pointed it out. Um, but but as you say, I can deal with that. I mean, um, you ha- I, to to me, I think it's, it is an important thing to think about and to talk about. Um, uh, but um you know that was a, a um, parent of a player uh, wrote to one of the publications where my article appeared and uh, actually asked him to take the um article down um and 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 another one uh, another uh, parent of a bluefield state player um wrote and and basically blessed me out um uh you know so um but I, I, I expect that. I mean, you know, I'm not taking anything away from the athleticism that they displayed during that tournament. Xavier University right. came into that tournament, the top seed. Xavier University last year was given uh, $385,000 from Major League Baseball for scholarships, for baseball scholarships. To fund the baseball program at Xavier, Xavier hadn't played baseball since 1962. I was about 11, 12 years old, and um, and so they revived the program. They they won about 23, 24 ball games this year, only lost eight, yeah. I think, to include the last one. But uh, they came in right. top seed, and um, Bluefield State had to play them three times, and they won two games. So, you know, my hat's off to them for that. But I also, you know, being true to the sport, when I talk to fans in the stands, I want to know why uh, these people were there. Were they, uh, are you here cheering for one team or the other? Do you have a son uh, on one of these teams? And when I I found that a number of fans came out just to watch black uh, kids play baseball because they thought, They were going to be seeing all black uh, uh, college baseball players on the field. Uh, And they expressed to me an interest that that their child wanted to go to uh, to attend an HBCU because they wanted HBCU experience that they were in high school, integrated high school settings. And some of them was actually in private uh, white high school settings and that they, they had had enough of that and they wanted to be around their own people. And, um, so right. you know my journalistic ear uh, perks up. There's the story. I mean, I'm not so much concerned yeah, about the the hits and and, and errors, the runs, uh, the wins and losses. That's going to take care of itself down on the field. But to me, the story was that you've got black kids who want an opportunity to play, but uh, and they don't know anything about what's taking place at those schools on the baseball level, and then they come to a World yeah. Series expecting an all of uh, predominantly black situation and they they get another picture. And so now they really got to go back and recapitulate and say, well, where am I going to college? Right. Uh, you know, what, yeah.
1: where
6: and, am I going to
1: college? Right. We got to rub it. But uh, to okay. your point, when you look at, uh, well, well, to your point, when you look at the um, at Bluefield State, when I read the article from their side of the world, they... They didn't even know about it. It's like, okay, we got chosen because of this black World Series tournament. Let's just jump in and see what happens. And I, I, I'm not trying to be critical of them, but that's that's the way the article was portrayed. And oh, by the way, this story you black this is their, you know, black college uh, World Series and this and that. So it's kind of an add-on and kind of after fact. We won. They finished the season for the first time in a while, winning season. You mentioned Xavier. I think he won twenty four games, lost eight or something along those lines. Uh, so it was a lot of drama in there, and good drama. But at the end of the day, again, when you look at it, a lot of those kids. One kid you had interviewed said he, you know, his father said he's the only black kid on the white baseball team. So there's a lot. I mean, it, it's it's right there. We just have to be honest, uh, forthright, um, uh, give the facts, and and um, be bold and and strong in where we are the fact is that my kids don't want to play baseball because they ain't nobody look like them i'm old they don't they ain't seen me black they want to play football <laughs> yeah. and basketball that's, that's i mean really that, that's you know they don't want to play that they don't want to play baseball um and and these are the facts that need to come out miss harvey and i i certainly appreciate you bringing them up and like you're off the air man i mean Whatever we need to do, I got your back. So we, you know, uh, people that know me, I don't back down. So it is what it is. But uh, before you go, <laughs> let people know how they, how they can uh, reach out to you. The article is going to be posted on our site. I knew you have it on your site, but let people know how they can follow you. I'll get to my next guest, sir.
6: All right. Uh, you can follow me at HaroldMichaelHarvey.com. Uh, you can read that article and, and others that I've written about black college baseball. And, uh, of course, I cover political um, issues, too. The three things I know is, uh, or uh, and I write about them is baseball, uh, law, and political science. So that's politics. So, uh, those are two academic uh, degrees that I have. And, of course, I play collegiate baseball. So that's what I write about. They say you write about what you know well. I know law, I know politics, and I know uh, baseball. So I write about those subjects, and of course, I've written five books. There's some interesting books on Negro League Baseball, a book on my uh, late neighbor C. T. Vivian. Uh, that's an interesting book, and um, you know, and, and a book on um, why why you should uh, go to um, jury duty any any time that you get a summons for jury duty. Why it's important to you to uh, not try to find out a way. Uh, to not serve, but to be eager to go in and listen to uh, the evidence against, uh, the, against your neighbors, uh, so you can, so they can get
0: justice.
6: Uh, but yeah, that's how you can reach me, HaroldMichaelHarvey.com.
1: Well, uh, we appreciate you, and again, we'll continue to post those articles, very insightful, very and in, in powerful and enlighting, uh, which we like to do. Miss Harvey, appreciate you, man. God bless you. Be careful. I'll talk with you on and off. Uh, very soon, sir.
6: All right. Take care. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Always good to have him on. It's the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network and WCON patiently waiting. we get to our next guest. News Radio Show, on the Vastor News Radio Network, WCOM and Chapel Hill, and of course, the IBM TV. Uh, we thank them uh, for broadcasting this bad boy. Don't forget, if you miss any part of the broadcast, go to our website. You can listen to all the interviews. I'm blessed to uh, be a part of at com bachelor with a t network obviously with a t the bachelor news radio network.com on our uh page you can see all of our articles interviews including uh my man on the line of course always uh good to have him on the uh general from uh covering the the afc south the voice of com the national voice and other media outlets he's my i appreciate you your patience and uh, thanks for coming on, sir. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. So, uh, the draft at the time of this broadcast, a week old at the time of it, uh, I love what Tennessee did. You're in Tennessee covering the Titans, obviously specifically, but of course the South, but with the Titans, I love what they did off the field before the draft. Um, there's some questions I have, in, in, in including uh, Khalid Farley. I, I'm very concerned when you get a guy that's got back issues, that's going to need to stretch and, and get up uh, after wide receivers and do those things. Wondering about that, uh, Rashad Weaver, um, and, and, and I, I guess you could have some backup running backs that think they've got a stable of those. Um and, you know, a lot of people think that this Patrick was a steal, but, you know, is, is he going to be part of the, the program, you know, in terms of why receiving right away? Does he have the skills to get on the field and and make plays? So so what about the draft and what
5: grade would you give them, the Tennessee Titans? Mm. Honestly, I'd give them roughly about maybe a B-minus or a C, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, The one thing I was disappointed in when it came to the Titans is they didn't address wide receiver until round six with Racing McMahon. I get that, but the thing is you have a starting wide receiver that left. You let go of Adam Humphreys. You don't really have any depth at the wide receiver spot. You let John Smith go as well. So what are we doing here at wide receiver? I mean, McMath can can definitely run. He can do some things, but I mean, you need somebody in there that's going to can, that that you know is going to be an impact player off top. That's why it was kind of interesting that they sign Jackrabbit this offseason. season. They they have Tristan Fulton. They bring in a corner from Cleveland, and yet they still draft a cornerback with the first with their first round draft pick which is interesting to me. And then they turn around and draft in round 3 another defensive back, which is interesting as well, although I will say Molden uh, has the skills to pay the bills, but um it just was interesting to me what they're, they they were going to be. And it makes me think that they're probably going to bring in some kind of veteran uh, at the wide receiver spot, maybe a Golden Tate who, for those that don't know, he is actually from Nashville, Tennessee. So that could potentially happen. I don't know, but it just that—that's what made me give them a C, or a B minus, to me.
1: Yeah, I was saying, I was saying B minus C plus around there. I mean, I, I'm with you. You knew you had issues at the wide receiver spot, and, and and really, technically, you have for for quite some time. I get the whole secondary thing. Um, uh, they gave up a lot of chunks, so maybe they wanted have that depth but the wide receiver spot this was the skinning. like i don't understand what they were doing with that so uh, with with all of what they have on defense are they going to try to put different wrinkles in do you think they're going to schematically change at all uh given the fact that you got you know a new core and indy um you have still a very good quarterback in Houston, which I gave them an F there. I don't know what Houston was doing. So, and then Jacksonville, of course, with a rookie quarterback. Is that part of the thinking with, you know, some fresh talent, if you will, veteran and rookie at quarterbacks at other positions, I mean, other teams in that division?
5: I mean honestly uh Jacksonville's, you know, trying to go younger and you know, I have my critiques there for Jacksonville as well, but uh I definitely have a pick that, that made me scratch my head with them. But um it seems like to me, yes, definitely teams are trying to go younger while Indianapolis is get is continuing to build and build uh with uh different pieces. As you see they don't really uh they're not really active when it comes to the free agency, but they are active when it comes to trades. 'Cause they this is the second year in a row they've made a trade and got somebody. Like Carson Lynch led, uh this, seat, this offseason, this off season. Last off season it was uh, Buckner from San Francisco. So um that they're definitely trying to build their team there. As far as Houston, they're just trying to build a, a culture and a program to be honest. They you know, they signed a lot of guys with one to two year deals this off season. So that tells you right there that they're really not sure of any of the guys they brought in and if Where they're they actually, want to gonna be pieces. Right. So yeah, you know, that, I yeah, would say that, yeah. that a lot of these teams are, are more teams that build through the draft and then make little splashes here and there, but not necessarily the ones that break the bank, you know, outside of Jacksonville this offseason, breaking the bank for the best corner, probably the best corner in the division. If you're just joining
1: us, we're of course, talking with Mike Patton here on the Bass News Radio Show on NBCOM, Uh and, of course, RadioNetwork.com. Uh, T V. Uh Speaking of Jacksonville, I- obviously, if you were under a rock, you didn't know Trevor Lawrence was gone there, of course. And he can be very special. I, I still have some uh, concerns about him, and-, and-, and we can talk about that down the road. But I-, I-, I, he can be very special. I don't understand why they brought in Travis Sidney Sydney when you have a guy who rushed for about fifteen, sixteen hundred 1,600 yards last year and then what they're doing, you know, with the, 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 the Cisco kid, the, the kid that they brought on, he's had, uh, again, with the back issues I talk about, the back issues, torn ACLs, torn NCLs, things of that nature, those kind of injuries. I'm very leery, especially when they're higher picks,
5: and that's for Jacksonville. Honestly, uh, I'll be honest. I really didn't have too much of a problem with Jacksonville's uh, selection in terms of Cisco. The one I had the biggest issue with was e- e- ETN. To me, yeah, ATN. With ETN. ATN, okay. ETN, ATN. Yeah. Sorry. But uh, the thing is with me is, of course, like, like you mentioned, they have a starting running back that was a rookie on a cheap contract that was doing his thing. Now, I get it that you need two good running backs and two solid running backs, and they're probably looking at the Cleveland Browns model of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. But if that's the case, then why did you bring Carlos Hyde in and pay him a two-year deal? What was the purpose of that? Right. So, that's, uh, you know, it just doesn't – I don't quite get it. They they still don't have a impact tight end to me, um, or they're, they're taking a the flyer on one, I should say. But – you know, we'll see what happens, but you know, I just don't, I don't like the pick of Travis Etienne going there, uh, cause because the thing is, he's a feature back, but he's not going to be a feature back there, because those two are, are going to be splitting carries. They're going to be splitting carries. I don't care what anybody tells me, they're going to be splitting carries at the most, and that's not necessarily, you know, it's almost it, it, if I'm if I'm Robinson, the running back. It's almost like a slap in the face to me. I'm like, okay, then, cool. I'm going to have to go show them again who I really am.
1: It's almost like Lawrence said, hey, you better bring my boy in because, like you said, you bring in a Carlos high, he's going to teach this kid Robinson how to be a running back, how to be a professional. So I said, okay, it's done there. Now they're going to build off the line. They need pass rushers. They need, you know, other positions. And then they bring in the – his running back, like it didn't make any sense. Uh, <clears throat>
5: hello, hello, LA, you there. there Hello LA you there Hello LA LA you there? Hello LA are you muted? Did you muted yourself I can I can't hear me either, but hello? Hello, 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 hello,
1: we'll get back, uh, get Mike back on the line uh 6469290130 the number to get us to get Mike back on the line and of course uh we were talking about the Indianapolis Colts and uh we'll we'll um get him back on the line to talk about the Colts and um and the decisions that they made um to go defense and they always seem to go defense but we'll hopefully get him back on the line to to talk about this in in uh, just a bit do you have uh mike mike uh mike can you hear me now sir yes sir i can hear you oh okay we we apologize for those difficulties i was talking about the colts and the the decision uh i i get the pay pick you know when uh, bringing him in Um, they always like to have those edge rushers. Uh, I think the defense is pretty solid, but what kind of grade would you give the Colts um, in their draft? Honestly,
5: I honestly would give them an incomplete right now, to be honest. I like Quiddy Pay, but the thing is with Quidi Pay is is that he takes plays off. That's an issue with me, and it comes there. Then. Another thing I would say that, that kind of has me interested in them and gives them a complete, okay, you draft Sam Elling Erlinger as your backup, I guess your backup quarterback, but then you drafted a couple years ago, you drafted, um, you drafted, uh, what's his name? You drafted Jacob Eason out of Washington. So what was the purpose of that one? <laughs> so, and then, and then you draft the uh, Vanderbilt defensive endo, at Adeyingbo. Ade Ade draft him but he's coming off an achilles injury i believe so to me i'm like mm, i don't know about that, that that draft is quiddy pay the guy you want or did, could you have gotten like jalen uh jalen phillips or anyone of that nature of that elk you know to be honest but you know i have seen a few mock drafts when quiddy pay went there and you know i i'm truly rooting for that kid because he told his mom basically as soon as he got drafted that she was done working and, you know, hey, that's the dream for any any song for a mother, especially the, a mother that, that sacrificed as much as she did to them. But just an overall draft, i got to give them an incomplete to me, or I'll i give them, I'll give them a, a D maybe. Can you hear me, L.A.? What do you think
7: about that? I mean, obviously the book,
5: Kept
1: their uh, team in place in terms of uh, their offense and defense on both 11 starters of both sides of the ball, which is pretty impressive. The Antonio Browns and all those guys in there. Um. So, what do you think about what they've done? What grade would you give them? I mean, they weren't doing much because they drafted lower because they won. And and Kansas City so Brown move clearly shows they were very concerned about what went wrong in a Super Bowl with uh, with their quarterback in that protection uh, situation so what do you think about Kansas City as well
5: well honestly, with Tampa Bay uh, I mean honestly they didn't need any more you know talent then they got a pass rusher so that's what they needed. I, I'm very interested to see the kid from Navy they brought in as a free agent. Actually, it was a kid I interviewed. He's from, actually from Memphis. Plays played play for the Navy, 6'1", one about 190, and gives them potentially a big corner that has the possibility of cracking that team as a free agent, which it would be unheard of for a Super Bowl winning team, but potentially could happen. Um, and then also, you know, I, I just like the additions, that they made i'll give them uh i'll give them a uh you know i'm not going to give anybody really an a to be honest there's few that should get an a we're not getting everybody an a here so i'll give them a b uh b b plus they got a pass rusher because uh you know jpp is getting a little longer than two so you got to have somebody to step in and be able to play where he is so uh, i'll give them a good grade there and as far as the kansas and chiefs i definitely like the things that they did this off season and with the draft. I mean, they get they get a, uh, a, a lineman from University of Tennessee, Trey Smith. They get him in like the sixth round. That guy's right. a potential 10-year starter. The only thing that hurt him was he had blood clots in his lungs one year. That's the only thing that hurt him. Um, and then you go get Orlando Brown. You go you get Kyle Long to come out of retirement. I mean, they pretty much got five brand-new defensive linemen with their team. I mean, offensive linemen. So, I mean, I gotta applaud the Kansas City Chiefs and the things that they've done. And I mean, just you know, the the the, the GM there, I, I definitely can say he's he's definitely playing chess while a lot of people are playing checkers.
1: What about the? I gotta ask you about two teams. One, of course, that is my team, and the other one is in you know geographically here. And that would be the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers look like they want to get stout on defense, uh, trying to build that up and go on defense in a lot of ways, uh, uh, certainly early. Um, and then the Steelers, they, they bring in certainly, I think, a guy who can be in a league for a decade, um, out of Alabama who played big in big situations. A lot of people were upset that they didn't, you know, Steelers fans and others were like, wow, they didn't go off the line first. You got to be able to open the holes for this kid to run uh, through the holes. Um, but they did get some draft picks. Um, they went with louder, louder milk out of uh, Wisconsin. Some people said early. So what say you about the Carolina Panthers and the Pittsburgh Steelers in terms of grades?
5: Honestly I, I don't mind what the um what the the Pittsburgh Steelers did. Their first pick basically told you right there what they want to do and want to get back to doing and that is running the football. So I applaud the Steelers for taking that that young man and I'm a fan of that young man already because I don't know if you know this or not, but he was actually at a homeless shelter. During for his Super Bowl, uh, not Super Bowl, but for when he was getting drafted, having a party at the homeless shelter where he used to live, actually, in California. So I applaud that young man for not forgetting for where he came from and being true to who he is. And I think he's going to be an excellent weapon and running back for them and a guy that they're going to depend on heavily, as in, like, Le'Veon Brown heavily. Le'Veon Bell, I'm sorry, heavily. So I think with that draft pick, they're going to go back to the – um Running the football 20 plus times or getting the football in Najee Harris's hands 20 to 25 times and kind of making the big plays off of the running game, which is exactly what the Pittsburgh Steelers need to do. And when they were at their best, as far as the uh, Carolina Panthers, if I'm Sam Bradford, I'm Sam Bradford, Sam uh, Donald. I'm interested in like okay cool you got you got a weapon and, uh you know you got a weapon at wide receiver you got uh robbie Anderson here, but what else are you gonna give me? you know are you gonna give me somebody else to block for me, or are you gonna give me another you know, tight end because they don't have any tight ends i mean what what are you gonna give me and honestly, they didn't really address those needs, so I understand the defensive side of it, so I give them my mm, be minus uh they can still do better. Uh, you got to give more weapons to Sam Darnold uh, or else you're going to put him back in the same situation he did in as a New York Jet, and that wasn't good.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm not sold on I, – I wasn't even with the Jets, but he goes from bad to maybe not so bad offensive line uh, uh, of weapons-wise. If he had a Kamara or somebody like that in the backfield, might be a little bit different. We'll see what happens uh and and carolina i'm with you uh you've got to have a running back i don't care if you have the greatest offensive of line in the history of the game but nobody that can get through the holes and be able to uh read and and get through the holes the right way it doesn't matter so i don't have a problem with what the steelers did in the first round some questions that down the road we'll see what happens but uh you know for the most part you know they. I think they filled the things they needed, the, the places they needed. But uh, again, I give them, I give them an incomplete. Um, Mike, before you go, when you look at um, switching to the association, it, it's a lot of challenging situations with injuries and with play. <laughs> you look, you look at Golden State losing their their rookie. Uh, center for the year, I think that if they get past any round, which I don't, maybe they will. With Steph having that MVP type year, it'd be a blessing in disguise. And then you look at a team like Boston that just hasn't figured it out. We got another guest; we'll talk about the Celtics They just haven't really got it. And I'm so I'm, I'm really confused about Miami and getting it. And you look at the top seeds, Utah uh, holding on in in the West, Philly right now holding on in the East. Has this been more of the more confusion years? Is is the the cream at the top going to rise and we see them in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals? Or because of the way things have been going with some of these teams, uh, can we see a Denver, you know, who's the 3C right now uh pull off a, a upset and get there or at least get to the Western Conference Finals or even the the, the Knicks who are 8 games at this time of this broadcast over 500 when did we've said on May 6th that the Knicks were 8 games over 500
5: so it's been a weird year what what say you about this this year of uh, going into the playoffs uh, this year, going to the playoffs, uh, it's going to be interesting, but, you know, there's three teams in the East uh, you got to think about always. That's Milwaukee, that's the Brooklyn Nets, and that is the Philadelphia 76ers. The uh, 76ers just depends on health and the way they're shooting the basketball. If they're able to spread the court and give um, Embiid give, uh, one-on-one matchups, that makes things a nightmare for any team they face, and, and that's including the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, as far as the Brooklyn Nets, health is the biggest thing for them. James Harden uh, may be back, actually, before the playoffs, we'll get a couple games in before they get going. But health and cohesion will be huge for them, along with defense. Uh, and as far as Milwaukee, Milwaukee is flying on the radar, which is a thing that they haven't been able to do the last couple of years, which makes them dangerous because I think uh, Portis has been better than he has ever been in his career with the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Old crazy odds, as I I like to call them. And then, um, you know, Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is an upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. You know, people can say he's this, he's that, he's not this, he's not that, he's not a superstar. But the thing is, what hurt them most last year was the play of Eric Bledsoe, or, sorry, the non-play of Eric Bledsoe as he disappeared when it came to the playoffs. So I think, um, you know, Milwaukee's primed to make a run, and a lot of people are forgetting about them, but they still – have an opportunity to win the East. The Knicks, I like the Knicks, but I just don't think – I think they're missing one guy. They need one more guy to take it to the mountaintop. But I've been very impressed, and I think that Julius Randle should get more talk in the MVP conversation. Um, As far as the West – Denver definitely has a shot, but with uh, Jamal Murray being out with torn ACL, I don't give them that great of a shot. Utah shot got better, but then again, they depend on the threes, and my dad always told me, you live by the three, you die by the three. Um, as far as Phoenix, it's going to be an interesting ride to see how those youngsters do in the playoffs. I mean, Phoenix hadn't been in the playoffs in like over a decade, so that'll be interesting. Oh, and I did forget about Boston, I'm sorry. Boston in the East, um, I'll say this. And some people have said this to me, but I'm starting to think about it a little more. Can Brown and Tatum both be the stars together to win that title? I know both of them are not the issue with that team, but I just wonder, can both of them lead that team to where they want to go? Or are they going to have to sacrifice one to get the the other pieces they need? And and Kimba has definitely got to step up for them to – take it to the next level. I like, the, you know, the cohesion that Smart brings and the leadership that he brings. But Kim was that guy that has to take them to that next level. And obviously in the playoffs last year he was healthy, disappeared, and you saw where it landed them. So, you know, that's the that's what I look at when I see everything. And as far as the Lakers, I know somebody's going to ask about the Lakers. The Lakers, to me, I don't see them winning the title this year. Um, they're pretty beat up. And the the worst nightmare for the Lakers happened this year with injuries to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And we'll see what happens going forward. But I, I I I don't think I have much faith. I'm not going to count them out, but I don't have much faith in them winning the title this year. Well,
1: I say this too as you go. Um, the the both the three seeds, Denver and Milwaukee. I I have uh, questions about Milwaukee and um. Milwaukee, Boston, and Brooklyn, I have coaching questions about um, uh, in the East. Uh, and you're right, the Knicks, they're not going to get to the finals, but certainly it's a good story. The eight games over 500 is a, is a great story for them and their franchise. In the West, I don't know. I don't know about the L.A. teams, period, but either one. I think as you saw us to lose, I think you you're right about you live by the three and you die by the three. I don't I don't like those small balls shooting up and down. Uh, that's why I'm not sold on Phoenix. You know they've never been there. I, keep an eye on Dallas. Um, it's, it, I said it last year. You remember me saying it last year. They got another year under their belt. I, I mean keep an eye on Dallas. Um, but I I just think that it's and I'm not just saying that people might think because they know I'm a Sixers fan that it could be the Sixers lose um because they might have you know the most balance and spread in the court like you said and all of those those additives and then beat again if he can stay healthy um they might be the team and I said to you Mike and I've said to other people um Anthony Davis they win or lose with him if he's hurt. They're not gonna win. If he's healthy, they they're one of the two teams that or three teams that can win it. And he's had his issues like he's had in his career. Um, and I, I'm with you, I don't if I, I don't they're just too banged up and they fell too far, I don't know if they can recover. Uh final thought from you, sir. <clears throat>
5: Well, I will say this. If they land in the final spot, they definitely can still win the West. Uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of when Houston played possum all year, uh, then their second championship run, and then all of a sudden they turned it on in the playoffs. But then again, I don't know if they were dealing with lingering injuries going on into it. And as far as the 76ers, hey, you know, anything can happen. Embiid's playing like an MVP, but, you know, we'll see what happens. And also a few notes for you. Richard Sherman and the Forty ers may be linked together again because he's interested in potentially going back there, and you know that that's that's something to watch right there. Just to give you a heads up.
1: Wow, the old man Richard Sherman, um, reuniting with the Forty ers Of it's, we know his original team, but going back to, to San Fran that would be interesting. I mean, that the West is just interesting. I mean, the 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 NFC and period for me is very interesting to see who can dethrone um you know superman and his his squad mike before you go let people know how they can follow you and le- and listen all of that i know you got your podcast please do let people know about that sir all right well you
5: can find me tonight if you, if you like i'll be on twitter and uh facebook uh on Twitter, you can find me at Mike Patton 82 and I'll be uh, doing my show tour in the AFC South, kind of breaking down the drafts uh, for each team in the uh, AFC South. Uh, you can also uh, catch me at Wright at the Tennessee Tribune, also with uh, which is TennesseeTribune.com, and also uh, the National Voice at the as well. Uh, thank you all for uh, thank you for having me, and uh, I look forward to coming on again.
1: Who covers the ASC South and, and, and has the insight like Mike Patton? I don't know. God bless, man. Appreciate you. Be careful. We'll talk to you next week. And thanks for uh, 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 navigating through the tech issues, sir.
5: Yeah, No problem. You have a good one.
1: Appreciate you. Mike Patton, always good to have him on the Bastion News Radio uh, show on the Bastion News Radio Network. That was COM in Chapel Hill, IBM TV, and the Bassin News Radio Network dot com. Stay tuned.
3: jam without limits. It's a hit. Get an iPhone SE on us when you switch. MetroPCS. Coverage not available in some areas. Plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Requires porting of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or on MetroPCS in past 90 days to an unlimited LTE plan. See store for details and terms and conditions.
1: Welcome back to the show. We thank you for joining us, and don't forget if you missed any part of our broadcast, you can go to our website, The Bachelor News Radio Network, Bachelor with a T, Network dot com, Network dot com. Want to bring in my next guest? Uh, traveling, of course. Uh, he is the play-by-play voice of UMass Lowell basketball, and of course, uh, Nassis Media. He is Nick Nastus, and and Nick, I appreciate you coming on, man, and traveling from your broadcast, sir.
7: I appreciate you playing a Nas beat. That's the introduction. I love it.
1: <laughs> See, only a true Nas fan would hit, know that that Uchiwawa, uh uh instrumental beat that was playing in the background. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta hit that right here. You hit that right there. You, you go like that, boom, 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 boom. There you go. Wait a minute.
7: I believe right?
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. So you're on it. That's what the young people see. You're a young guy, so you knew that Nas beat in a minute. Um, and Nick, I wanted to ask you, uh, covering uh, New England, of course, the, the Patriots, all the to-do we were talking about with um, – uh Mac Jones you and I were talking about the draft off the air about how the fans were really uh feeling and hoping and praying that he might be the new 2021 22 Tom Brady in the, in the works uh with this pick and the steel and all these different things but what do you what do you think about the pick um was this was this one of those where Belichick was trying to make a splash. And mechanically, and with this kid, what do you think?
7: It's going to be interesting to see how quickly Belichick and his staff think he's ready, what his role is going to be out of the gate. Those are kind of unanswered questions at this point. What I think is it's probably going to be a lot of keep your mouth shut and learn. You know, same thing that happened with Jimmy G when they took Garoppolo in the second round back in 2014. I mean, he didn't see the field for that first year. He didn't say a word to the media. He went to those quarterback meetings. He learned the system. And uh, and obviously gained value in the process. Ultimately so signed a big deal, played well enough to sign a big deal elsewhere. But, um Listen, my, my friend told it – my friend summed it up off the air as good as anybody in that he should have seen it coming. His pro day was the only one Belichick has attended in 20 years. So that was, that was the telltale sign that got overlooked by many, including me. Um, you know, for Belichick to think highly enough of a player to actually show up to a pro day for the first time in two decades um, tells you a lot of what you need to know. The Patriots like him. Uh, he's a methodical quarterback. He's obviously from a premier program, the premier program, big-time college football, knows how to win, knows how to play under pressure, knows how to play without an ego. Um, and as far as the fan base goes, they bought in about three seconds after they announced his name. Uh, It seemed to me, at least amongst the circles I talked to leading up to the draft, that a lot of people were hoping and praying it was going to be Justin Fields from Ohio State. Everybody was penciling him in, you know, Fields this, Fields that, and then Fields ends up going in the top three. Everyone thought, or at least most people thought up here, that Jones would be gone, Um, you know, that Jones was, was going to be going to San Francisco and that, Fields would, would somehow, way, slide to New England or the Patriots would trade up to get him. But, but Fields seemed to be the guy up until he wasn't. And then again, as soon as Mac Jones' name was called, about three seconds later, uh, the party began. You know, you, you couldn't hear, you know, one bad word about Mac Jones after that. So the fan base was committed. Belichick, it seemed like, had hip tech from the very get-go. There are some similarities with Brady. In terms of the offense, in terms of the physical size, in terms of the mechanics. Um, so, all in all, in retrospect, looking backwards, it seemed like um, a fit that was in the making. And then once Jones cleared that, you know, those first three picks, uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Belichick and them had impact. And, um, and, and we'll see. I, I think it's as intriguing a pick as any. First time, obviously, Belichick is taken a quarterback in the first half.
1: And uh, I know some people are hearing some, uh, obviously you got your window down or whatever the noise in the background. But, um, you know, Nick, when you you look at him and Brady in the comparison, they both played at big-time programs. They both played against big-time competition. But the naysayers, those who – don't believe Mac Jones. Say, look, his running back, his two top wide receivers, and even uh, some of the offensive linemen went to the NFL. So is he as good as he can be, or was he as good as the talent around him? What say you about that? I think a fair point. Um, we'll see. You
7: know, Look, everybody's a world-class athlete in the NFL. And, frankly, the SEC is basically the AAA of the NFL, right? I mean, it, 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 the SEC is the NFL light. It's, it's AAA, minor league football, whatever you want to call it. It's the best conference top to bottom, depth-wise, uh, by far, by far. And, and, and I respect the ACC and the Big Ten, but they're not the SEC. So if a guy can go there, and sure, yes, he's got to, Loaded with first-round picks, never mind NFL players. Loaded with first-round picks on the same side. I get all of that. But at the same time, you got the tools, and he's got the job done. You know, he could have been one of those quarterbacks that didn't get it done. That, you know, Alabama's had loaded teams that didn't win. Okay? So, uh, not only did he, he play well, he played very well to the point where he was uh, one of the runners up for the Heisman. So he had numbers there, and, yes, I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to knock a guy because his teammates were good as well? I mean, I don't know if that's fair. I don't know if that's accurate. There may be something to that, sure, but we'll find out. And, that, and that's what's fun about this time of year is because we don't know anything You won't know anything until September, but it's fun to come up with the scenarios. I, for one, do think he's got the temperament, the resume, The experience, playing in those national championship games, playing against, by the way, defenses loaded with pros every Saturday on the other side, again, playing in the SEC. So that that would be my answer to that question. But the bottom line is we're not going to know. And we might not even know until September, because all signs point to Cam being the starter until further notice.
1: If you're just joining us, of course, we're talking with Nick Anastas here on the Bastard News Radio Show on the Bastard News Radio Network, WCOM, IBM TV, News Radio You You brought up a uh, comment which leads to my next question in terms of uh, Cam Newton and the, the fact that if he's the starter, how is this going to look? Is this one of those things where you know, Cam's going to groom this kid, and at some point you think, again, opinion we don't know, at, you know, October or something or November, um, that, they, you know, the Patriots are struggling, and then, you know, Belichick decides, okay, I'm going to go with this kid um, to be the starter. How, and And how does that play out for Cam, in your opinion?
7: I think you're right. I think the only way we see Matt Jones this year is that Cam Hurts or really gets to uh, a, a low point, lower than last year. Uh, which, which by the way, I don't think is going to happen. I, I think the Patriots are pretty good on paper right now. Uh, and I wouldn't have said that two months ago. Mm. So what I, what I think plays out is, is that they get out, they get back to the basics, they have more balance. Um, the two tight end thing again is is intriguing as anything. If that works, combined with a run game, and I like their fourth round running back pick as
1: well. By the way, um, see, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, I don't know about Stevenson. Don't they have enough back, Unless they got him for it, because you know they have backs that got injured, and I don't know about right. Stevenson there. I, I, I guess is that why they picked him at, at, at the fourth round? I think I think it's just a good
7: player that was there in the fourth round, and you can't have it. Many backs in Belichick's mind. Look at the backs on the roster. White missed time last year. He's pushing thirty. Okay, back on a one-year deal. He's not obviously a long-term solution, and he's a pass-catching back. Then your two big backs also missed time. Najee, uh, excuse me, uh, the other Alabama kid from two years ago missed his right. rookie season. Harris, all right, ran pretty well last year when he was when he was healthy, but he missed games again last year. And Sony Michelle, we know, has had a history of knee problems. Right. Okay, to the point where the pitchers declined his auction. So, you know, they, they need bodies. And if Stevenson, who I thought was a third-round talent, is there in the fourth, you go ahead and do that. So I, I think that was a time and place pick, a depth pick. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be a three-down back and, you know, shine from week one and come out the gate one rookie of the year and all that. But is he a piece? that potentially, have, you know, if there is a problem, which I, I expect there probably will be with, my, with Michelle or Harris or White or any of them, uh, Burke had to have a resign, Another injury waiting to happen at 32 years old. So they needed you, They needed help. Stevenson was there. Now you pick in the fourth round, and they can make sense in a lot of ways.
1: You know, I, I, when I look at their grade, I, I give them a high B because I, you know, with uh, Jones could be a star, right? If, if, if under the circumstances like you said, if he's played under the lights before, uh, Barmore, of course, and then, you know, you get Perkins, who's a, a pretty, uh, a good edge player. I, I mean, I think they did well considering that uh, in a year that's off season. Where Brady and and the Bucks got all the credit that they actually did well. Okay, it was some kind of noise there. Uh, I was saying that I would give them a high B because, you know, with with Barmore there and Perkins coming in off the edge, you know, the defense was getting a little old and and stuff, especially on the back end and all that kind of stuff. So I thought they I thought they did well considering that they, you know, a lot of eyes were on them because of Brady winning, you know, with the Bucks that they they had a pretty good draft. I would give them a high B.
7: Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I said, said a B-plus. Um, and, and you mentioned it, the edge. You mentioned Barmore which which I like. Um, you know, because they, the last two years combined, between COVID and now two off seasons, they lost a lot of players, not just on defense, but really up the middle of the field, right? The B-tackles, the inside linebackers, the safeties, right? With Chung not coming back, they lost high talent. They lost a couple of free agents to Detroit and Miami, they needed help in the middle of the field. Check, 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 right? Far more. Perkins, I know, is on the edge. But then in the fifth, they had Cameron McRoon. They had another safety in Josh Bledsoe. Uh, again, just bodies, depth, youth, create competition with veterans in the offseason for positioning. for roster spots, uh, which is what they needed to do. Again, this was a one-two punch offseason. They had a lot of money to play with uh, in March, okay, and they spent a lot of money, again, on positions that needed depth, receiver, right. uh, outside linebacker, edge. Remember, they got Matt Dudon he's still in a prime. I like that signing. Um, if, you know, offensive line, we'll see. I, I, they brought back a couple of guys. They missed a couple, uh, you know, one starting last year uh, for the year with injury. So the old line I think, is, um, is now, given that they didn't particularly put a lot of draft stock into the old line I'd like to see if there's maybe a late signing, a July signing somewhere where a veteran ends up on this team um, to compete up front. But in terms yeah. of the skill position and that was the big complaint, especially from the fan base. They don't have any weapons. Well, they've got, they've got a pretty – they have a superstar weapon. But they've got depth at those
1: skill positions, which they did not have last year. Right. And and I would say, uh, again, we're mirroring in the, the, each other. I, I think the offensive line might be the one concern, if any, uh, uh, about what they're going to do. If they're going to bring some late pe- uh, people in, uh, like a Venom Waiver went to the Ravens and that kind of thing, where they're going to bring some people right. in for the backside right. and some depth uh for cam and those quarterbacks and getting it done wanted to look at the uh the vision in itself the dolphins i thought listen we had just talked about uh mac jones jalen Waddle went there you know he's got that tyreek evans type speed we don't know how, how it resonates like if he's going to catch the ball right but we know how good he right. in. um I liked what they did on the offensive line to try to protect this kid. This kid is is, is familiar with Waddle. Um, I thought the Dolphins, based on what they had, and they brought brought in some corners, that I give a, a, a good grade. What 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 say you about what they've done?
7: I think Miami's uh, getting serious. I, I think you got to give a lot of props to uh, to Coach Flores again yep. from the Belichick tree. Um, he seems like, he seems like a, a guy that can run a franchise to me. You know what I mean? Whereas Matt Patricia, who fell on his face in Detroit, he just seems kind of like a, you know, a a good guy, a good coach, but not necessarily the head of a franchise.
0: Right. Whereas I
7: think Flores, Flores has those communicative skills, the organizational skills. He um, could talk to anybody in the room, anybody off the street. Players relate to him. And oh yeah, by the way, he knows his is knows too. So I think finally Miami may have a steadying force at the top of the organization that they really haven't had uh, since Don Shula,
2: right?
0: Right.
4: I mean, there's
7: right. Like nobody there's nobody with sustained success in Miami uh, mm-hmm. at either quarterback or head coach since Shula Marino. So may be a, a turning point for the Dolphins, and, and, and you're right. Uh, we'll see, you know, if, if Chua's got a weak spot, it, it's going deep, right? So we'll see if that if, if that combination can work down the field at the NFL level. But I don't necessarily think they need, uh, you know, sure, everybody needs a deep threat, if, if not for anything else, to stretch the field, right? Occupy attention, uh, create lanes underneath. Right, which Miami did not have. Uh, you know, Parker's a, a good physical receiver, good red zone target. Not really a speed team threat, though. So he catches the ball. Okay. He
1: catches a lot of passes, though. He he is definitely a guy who's a got receiver. on third and long. He will catch the ball.
7: Yeah, he's he's growing on the and again, six four, right? Six five, big frame. Uh, he's a good receiver, and in terms of being a deep threat, where you know he's right. got a guy with rare speed. You mentioned Tyreek Hill. In comparison, that gives you an idea of, of, of what we're talking about here. So if you can create those underneath lanes where, by the way, Miami is loaded up on tight ends, um, you know, they, they've still got a pretty good skill set at receiver, period, if they can keep Preston Williams healthy. He's right. another uh, physical player at 6'4", that's great on the other side um, of, of uh, Landry. Then you throw the rookie, uh, uh, Parker, then you throw the rookie in, you throw a run game in um, that's been at least adequate. You know, again, no stars there. They you know, they had uh, they gave uh, Jordan Howard a look. They gave Matt Verita a look. Didn't really work. Uh, the one rookie last year that did catch on was Miles Gaston out of Washington, uh, who seems to have, you know, well over 40 yards to carry. Seems like he's carved out at least the first and second down roll there. Um, they may need a, They may need another back down the line. We'll see if Gaston holds up or whatever. But you, you hit the nail on the head. The offensive line, it wasn't just this year in the draft either. Remember, they loaded up last year um, with, with picks in the first two rounds, I believe, up front. And then they do the, basically the same thing this year, spending early draft capital to protect the quarterback. So an offense uh, so far so good, I think, for Miami. And, and again, I think they're – You know, last year, nobody expected anything from them. They overachieved. They almost got into the playoffs. Uh, This year, it seems like they're that kind of a young team that um, is ready to take that next step and maybe capture a seventh uh, or even a sixth or a fifth, you know, a wild-card spot in the the AFC. wouldn't surprise me.
1: Just joining us, talking with uh, uh, Nick Anassas here on the Bastion News Radio Show. Nick, uh, you mentioned Sam Darnold. Of course, he's gone... Now to Carolina, uh, the, uh, uh, the Jets moving uh, forward, bringing in Zach w- Wilson. Um, I know what they're trying to do. They bring in Elijah Moore, who I like. Um, I'm, I'm not sold on the Michael Carter thing. And, yeah, I, and, and I know they want to build offensively. To give him just like what the Giants did, and you know, with uh, Daniel uh, uh, Wilson. But the the thing is that I don't I don't know if they pick the right people in those positions. I I I guess if you're in those positions, you have to get what you get. But I thought they might have made some more deals to get more quality offensive linemen around Wilson. Um, they certainly are, are going to be bottom feeders, right, I, I believe. So, so, yeah. so what do you say about their
7: draft? I'm not, I'm not sure what the long-term goal is there. Uh, I mean, I guess they're on Darno, but, again, keep in mind, it comes a year after they spent money in the free agent market to bring in Teddy Bridgewater. And then right. a year later, you just ship him out and make another trade. Yeah. So, you know, so, so what is what is the three year blueprint? What's what's the five year plan? What's the three year plan here uh, yeah. with with Carolina? I, I don't know. It, it just seems like nobody wants to be there.
1: No, I meant uh, I meant the Jets. The Jets. The Jets. Oh, with sure. with Darnold right? And Zach Williams, what, Wilson coming in as the quarterback. What, what what do you think about them in the AFC East? So they'll be bottom feeders. I'm thinking. But what do you what grade would you give the Jets?
7: We bottom feeders, but I think they'll win five or six games because um, they've got a decent stable of backs. Uh, you know, we'll see about the rookie. I mean, that's always a wild card. That can go one of two ways. I think it probably, like, you're, like you said, there'll be at least a, uh, a year learning curve here. We'll see about that old line, uh, which was porous to begin with. And you're right, um, they didn't get much better on paper after the draft, not up front. Uh, not elsewhere. I still kind of like their defense. I kind of like uh, the skill set in the backfield and again, with a wild card at quarterback, um, they may win some of those close games that end up five and eleven uh, six and or six and eleven now excuse me with the 17 game schedule. Now, right. if, they win six, if they win six, I think that's uh that's a year one win so to speak.
1: And then with the Bills uh, again, one of those teams, sort of like the Bucks, in the sense that they kinda, they kind of they kind of got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. Though uh, I think you both you you agree that their defense kind of took a step back this year. They kind of picked it up late. Um, yeah. I, I I'm not really. I don't. I don't know about the Spencer Brown thing. He's a raw talent, but I don't think he he's developed into the the skill set, you know, and, 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 and playing uh, the position, but, you know, they got a, a quarterback. that's is growing that obviously they got arguably the best wide receiver in the game and, and the running and their defense could be better. They, they definitely build there, but what do you give a grade about the bills in that, in that division?
7: I think the Bills addressed what they needed to address. I think their Achilles heel was the pass rush, and they spent not one but the first two picks on edge guys. Now, That's I don't know if it's going to pan out. We'll see. But either way, they had two new pass rushers to a group um, that included a second-round pick last year in Espinenza who didn't really – Uh, quite catch-on early, but definitely, I think, has a physical skill set. He was projected as a first-rounder last year, had a bad pro day, and then kind of picked it up, got more snaps, it seemed like, the year went on with them. So in year two, he may, you know, bud. So uh, they needed an infusion of youth on the edge. Jerry Hughes has had a career, but, you know, he's 32, 33 years old. Sack numbers, I believe, were at a career low last year. Um, So that was the spot they needed to address, and they did that. So for that, uh, you've got to give them props. Um, Speaking on the defense as a whole, I think they underachieved at the first half of last year. But as you mentioned, got better better as the year went on, and that coincidentally coincides with the return of Matt Milano, who, by the way, they made sure was their top free agent uh, priority. Keep him home. Mm-hmm. Keep him happy. Keep him paid. They bring him back. He's excellent. He's one of the best outside linebackers in pass coverage.
1: He's a tackling uh, or, machine, is what it, he's, a, he's tackling a tackling machine.
7: machine yeah. And, and the guy next to him is another tackling machine, and is 23 years old in uh, right. in Edmonds. So they're, they're I I think again they're ready to go. I think you know the Chiefs played it. The Chiefs played an eight plus game in that AFC Championship in the middle of it. In quarters two and three, where they outscored Buffalo thirty-eight to six. Quarters one and four, Buffalo outscored them eighteen to nothing. Excuse me, twenty-four nothing. So they're not my point is they're not that far away personnel wise. They brought back again basically everybody, like they did last year. They've got experience now. And again, their one lone I think weak spot was that edge. If if those two guys pan out, they'll have addressed that as well. They bring Milano back. I give him an A minus for the off season.
1: And so, with that being said, when you look at all the teams um, on paper right now, where obviously things change, free agency, injuries, and things. Who who wins the AFCs? The Bills. Okay.
7: I think I think the Bills um, are in that top tier, and we know now Kansas City's vulnerable if they don't show up, and that whole line is weak. By the way, with Kansas City right, right now, they, yep. they they have not addressed that still, and yep. that's going to catch up with them. So they've been at the top of the mountain the last two three years. I don't I don't you know now now there's room in the club, you know there's some other players that come into the clubhouse now. I think Buffalo is one of them in that top tier in the AFC. They're the team to beat in the East uh, with, with Miami and, and New England uh, close on their heels.
1: Final question for you. When you look at a team that, I mean, you covered a draft that you thought was surprising or even disappointing, um, what, team, what team would that be, would be surprising or disappointing that you thought that you covered in the draft? AFC, NFC, division, conference, it doesn't matter.
7: Well, maybe not necessarily to the draft, but one thing that's got to be disappointing uh, is what's going on in Green Bay, right? I mean, this this seems like an ugly divorce uh, in in progress. And if that's the case, then all of a sudden, you know, you, you go from a team that was on the verge of a Super Bowl two years in a row to all of a sudden trying to hit the panic button and come up with not just a plan B, but a plan C, B and E and
1: F. But why didn't oh, we see uh, that though? Why didn't we see that? The key already was there was already question about when they drafted the quarterback two years ago,
7: right? Which so plays I mean, into the current right, which plays into the current situation from Rodgers' perspective. I th- I think um, right, right. So sure, okay. Then that, right, that's why I mean by plan B. Okay, plan B is, 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 is the kid. What if the kid doesn't work out? And that has a real possibility of happening, by the way.
1: Yes, right. You're
7: um, right. I mean, you know, there were a lot of concerns about his accuracy uh, going into last year's draft, the lack of competition in that conference. Uh, obviously, the big shoes to fill coming in behind a, a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, that, that's far from a sure thing. So if that fall let's say they go 0 2 or 1 and 3 out of the chute without Rodgers, you know, that, and, and well, what's plan What's plan C then at that point? What's plan D? I mean, all of a sudden, just the landscape completely flips 180, where you have Green Bay on the short list in the NFC, to all of a sudden, you know, they could be heading for a train wreck, all because uh, you know they couldn't keep Aaron Rodgers happy. <laughs> Basically, and you can say what you want about Rogers, you can say what you want about the ownership, you can say what you want about any divorce. You know, there's always going to be fault on both sides, and it's just again, you you wanted a disappointing, um, you know, a disappointing situation, draft related or not. Uh, I think the saga that's, that's in Green Bay is, you know, not a good look for anybody. Uh, except for, of course, the other three teams in the division. I'm sure they're eating it up—Minnesota, Chicago, and uh, and Detroit. But outside of them, this, you know, this is—it's uh, got to be disappointing, especially if you're a Packer fan.
1: And and by the way, Justin Field fans, and we don't know for real, but Justin Field uh, not happy to to be a Bears uh, a person. But at the end of the day, like you said, um, you know, you want to be happy, you want to be right i want to be right. I, I mean, I want to be happy. So I want um, Aaron Rodgers, if I'm a Packer fan, to be right. my quarterback other than a guy who's unproven. I don't know anything about this kid. I don't know if he can right. lead us to a championship. So that's the, the dilemma. And I don't understand why Green Bay, like my Steelers, which we'll talk about another day, have allowed this quarterback situation to get to where it is and they don't have a backup plan. They have zero backup plan. Zero. Two cold places, two places where they played each other in a Super Bowl have zero backup plan for their Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Um, And so, you know, we'll we'll see what happens, but I'm I'm with you, man. I, I think that that's a, a a messy, turbulent situation in Green Bay.
7: You know, right? It's it's, it's too bad too because uh, you know they're one of the funner teams to watch too. Right.
1: Right.
0: I mean, right. Just
7: just from a new, just from a neutral perspective, you know, they're always in a big game. They're always on prime time. Rogers always plays well. By the way. Uh, he doesn't get enough credit sometimes, in my opinion. And
1: look at the great wide receiver he has that gets double and triple team and he still gets open. I mean, really. It, 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 you right. Know. <laughs>
7: right. You know, they get the tight ends involved. balls. The tight end last year, 10 touchdowns. They throw it out of the backfield. They got Aaron Jones, who's as dynamic and, you know, highlight explosive as anybody. Um, you know, they score points. So, so to take them out of the mix is, is not good for the league or the yeah. ball things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's going to be interesting because, you know, he's a California kid and obviously they've made those decisions out there. We don't know what's going to happen. And he's got used to the cold so he could play in a cold play. It would be really, really bizarre if he went to the Bears. That would be really, really crazy. Yeah, he's used to the cold. It's a... a, You know, a team that plays in their division. I mean, Alejandro Villanueva said that he went to the Ravens so he could play the Steelers twice a year.
7: Twice a year. (laughs) LA, haven't we already seen this movie? Haven't we already seen this movie before? Exactly. Where a quarterback leaves Green Bay, goes to a division rival in cold weather, and does well?
1: That's right. Yep. Mr. Favre with the Jets and... And Minnesota, well, okay, not both not. Both not I mean, Minnesota. I was gonna say not the Jets, not the Jets, I was gonna say more more so Minnesota, but he you know he was throwing the ball around too, and, and the Jets were certainly he made the playoffs with with the Vikings. So yeah,
7: yeah the I mean, just uh, the one seed. They were the top seed in the, that year. His first yeah. year in Minnesota, they were the yep. top seed. They went to the NFC Championship, and uh, and and Coach Peyton Put a bounty on his head And got suspended for a year Right That's how that ended
4: Right <laughs> it Right
7: Greg Williams Greg Williams and, uh, and Sean Payton Literally had to put money On Brett Favre's head To keep the Vikings Out of the Super Bowl that year
1: Well uh, You know he, he can play in the cold He could throw in the cold And and do well in the cold How about coming to Pittsburgh we, We'll take him You know So Anyway <laughs> Uh-huh. It was good in the black and gold. Uh, uh, Look, he he beat the black and gold. Might as well go ahead and be in the black and gold. So anyway, Nick, I I appreciate you, man. Uh, You be careful. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, staying with us through the uh, tech um, difficulties, too, man. Appreciate you. Thank you, L.A. It's the uh, liveliest
7: draft conversation I've had all week. So thank you.
1: No. Well, absolutely, man. And, and next time we have, you know, do that and um, um, what's going on the with the, the Celtics, of course. <laughs> sure. Appreciate you, Nick. Right, thank, you, right. thank, thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Yes, sir. Nick Anastas, voice of uh, UMass Lowers, uh, uh Baseball, and Nick Anastas of Anastas Media on the Bachelor News Radio Network. It's written all over your face, Take a sec. Yo, Larry,
8: man, you think you can sing this song today? <clears throat> it's
3: kind of horse today, hey,
8: man.
1: But it little you little want
3: to watch your No, man, Melvin.
1: I
8: oh, look too high for me, man. Well, no, look. Hey, here, it. Come on, man. Come on. Hold on. Keep the
0: shutdown, shutdown, Shut the... Shut